June 16, 2020, you are listening to the Inquisitive Bro Podcast. Today we're doing the 2006 NBA redraft. It's a terrible draft. It sucks! (laughs) I'm Chris, that's Andrew, let's go. We're doing the 2006 NBA redraft. Uh, initial thoughts about this draft? It's it's the Bargnani draft. It is the Bargnani draft. That's what it's known as. I think not even to Raptors fans, just like most NBA fans in general. Yeah, I mean, in the modern era, this is one of the top five worst first overall picks. You think of the Bennetts, you think of the Oldwood Candies, the Kwame Browns. He's up there. He's in that, that draft class he, of special number one picks. He's definitely up there, actually. Um, I did some. Uh, I did a little bit of research on uh, Basketball Reference about how bad of a number one overall pick he was, but I want to save that for when we kind of get into him. Because let's uh, let's run through the draft first, how it actually happened, and then we'll kind of get into the the key characters and who sucked and who didn't suck as much. Before that, how excited were you when you found out that the Raptors landed the first overall pick? Okay, actually, this was. This is kind of embarrassing, I guess, in hindsight to think about this, but this was what made me a Raptors fan. Uh, I was a full-on just hockey fan before uh, before Andrea happened, and uh, it wasn't until I found out that we had gotten the number one overall pick, the Raptors, that is, and uh, we were potentially going to take this uh, this Italian dude who was apparently going to be the next Dirk Nowitzki, and I had heard of Dirk at the time, and I was pretty pumped up, and safe to say that my expectations were not met. Yours, mine, and nobody else's. Do you think Andrea Bagnani's expectations were met? Do you think he met his career expectations? That is an excellent question. I wonder if anybody has asked Andrea, did you think this was how it was going to play out? He'd probably be like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, this went way better than I expected. Yeah. They I'm paid, thrilled. They paid me like $80 million throughout my career. It's pretty good. Yeah. Now I live in Tuscany or something. I don't even know where he lives, but he probably lives in some awesome Italian villa. His life is doing pretty good. You think he's not playing professional basketball anymore? I know he's not playing professional basketball anymore. Oh. I checked. Oh, okay. He played, like, after he finished off the Nets. He uh, he played a little bit back in Italy, and that lasted, like, a year, and then he was done. Fine. So, but hey, um, I guess I'll just look really quickly to just hammer home. 73500000 for his NBA career. So That is incredible. I mean, pays to be a bust, which is a common theme you'll find in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, seriously. If you're good enough to be a bust, you got paid. If you can manage to be really good at basketball somewhere through the age of like 17 to 19 and just get some NBA Earlier, eyeballs on you. I think if you're good by the age of 13, you'll like really good. You'll start getting enough notoriety to get into a big college program. <laughs> no, and but if you're good at 13, you got to keep it up through your later teens. Yeah, okay, 13 is a little early. 15, 15, 16. I think a good senior year, and you're probably set. Junior, senior year, yeah. Point is, pays to be a bust. Anyway, so uh, let's go through this draft. Um, so obviously one of the big storylines, Andrea Bagnani, went number one. This was not a consensus pick. Although Andrea was highly regarded throughout the industry, like he was, everyone's like, oh, you know, he might be the next, the Italian Dirk. Um, Everyone liked his shooting stroke. Everyone thought that he would turn into a star. I mean, he was a little soft, but they're like, ah, he'll learn. He'll develop into a rebounder. He'll develop into a better all-around scorer. They were wrong. Um, Number two, LaMarcus Aldridge, who... I don't think this is controversial to say, had the best career out of anyone in this draft. Yeah. Um, Possibly him and Lowry, the only Hall of Famers in this draft. Future Hall of Famers? Um, I think so. I mean, you look at numbers. Lowry's getting in because of the championship. You know, actually... It's the NBA Hall of Fame. Everybody gets in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He probably will. Yeah. And Aldridge will end up with great uh, numbers. I think he needs to continue on the path that he's on for a little bit on his later career like put up a few more good statistical seasons just to really hammer home but like this is the 06 nba draft there's only eight guys from this draft class still playing in the league most of these guys are they're they hit their primes larry hit their prime aldridge hit their prime like well, the best of what we've seen of these guys yeah. yeah yeah but i've seen we've seen the best of these guys already 
Yeah. So if they're going to make a case for the Hall, it's pretty much either happening for them now or it's not going to happen. Well, I disagree with the case of Kyle Lowry because, one, his first few years, I mean, not Hall of Fame worthy at all, as we'll get into. But if he retires today, him. he's in. Probably. I mean, he's still really good if he keeps it up for a few more years. Because he doesn't have that many All-NBA teams, for example. He has good All-Stars, but he doesn't have that many All-NBA teams, not that many All-Defensive teams. Um, Blake Murphy of The Athletic, who's a Raptors um, beat reporter, likes to say that if there was an All-NBA fourth team, Kyle Lowry would make it <laughs> a lot of times. Yeah, well said. Um, so, LaMarcus Aldridge, number two. Number three to Charlotte was Adam Morrison. Um, one of the biggest busts ever. Uh, arguably... I mean, I don't even think there's about that big of an argument to make. A much bigger bust than Andrea. Yeah, definitely. I think he gets somewhat overlooked because he didn't go first. He went third. And this was a weak draft class, so there wasn't much to choose from. But well, he was supposed to be good. He was putting up huge numbers at Gonzaga. Uh, at Gonzaga. Yeah, he was. He was. His game was very, you know, shoot the three, grab a rebound, get some offensive putbacks, he was a he soft hands. scoring tweener. Yeah. But unfortunately... Towards ACL in year two. And that really changed his career. I uh, mean, that was it. That was the end. And, I mean, I wonder a more resilient person uh, would have been able to come back better than him. But, I mean... ACL's hear, a weird one. Some guys is, come back, some guys don't. you hear a lot don't. about, with Adam particularly, you hear a lot about his potential mental health. Right. Like, he wasn't, like, let's just put it this way, like, he was an odd duck. Um, he was known for two things in Gonzaga, putting up buckets and crying whenever he lost, basically. I've never heard the expression odd duck. What? I've heard ugly duckling. Well, that's a thing too, but odd duck is definitely a thing. I've never heard odd duck until you just said it right now. Maybe I'll incorporate it into the language. You should. Maybe I will. It's a, you're an odd duck for not knowing that that, <laughs> that odd duck is a, a saying. Three years, two championships for Adam Morrison. That's pretty good. Pretty good for three years. <laughs> Didn't he only win one? No, he got two. He got them both. That's almost like Norris Cole. First two years in the league, two championships. Lakers, Lakers. Oh, no. Lakers, Lakers. Okay, this, you're right. This, yeah, this, yeah, yeah. This is funny. Um, on, yep. on draft night, uh, whoever was doing the draft goes big sigh of relief for Adam. Seems like he's been holding his breath since he got here, and I guess we know why. Maybe Adam knew something that the rest of us didn't know. Yeah, um, you know, he was actually kind of in the conversation for number one. <laughs> um, I think we, I think the Raptors nixed that pretty early. Um, at least Brian Colangelo was smart enough with that. Um, another guy who was in contention for number one went to number four, uh, Tyrus Thomas. He kind of a bust as well. Wasn't that good. Sheldon Williams, number five, also a bust. Number six, Brandon Roy, who's drafted by Minnesota, but ultimately went to Portland. Brandon Roy is an interesting character in this draft, arguably the most talented guy. I think we'll get, we'll get into that. Yeah, I mean, if he's still playing today, he easily goes number one in this draft. Yes, but also the reason why he isn't playing today was the reason that kept him from going number one in this draft. Yes. And yet it wasn't a reason enough for him to slip further than sixth. Yeah. He was talented. Always was. He was. Yeah. Um, you got to have knees, though, to combine with the talent. Good knees do. and good talent make for a good player. <laughs> Write that down. That's a good one. That's a quotable quote. You think that, like, you know how all the teams in their locker rooms have just these random like quotes and like sayings like work hard and yeah. championships will come i don't know i'm sure one of them have that probably minnesota probably, like, yeah <laughs> work hard and you'll get a championship yeah but yeah good knees good work <laughs> good yeah. talent yeah good talent good knees good basketball player <laughs> um number seven randy foy had a solid career um rudy gay number eight he was another guy who actually could have gone number one he was in the conversation and you can see why um, I guess he'll be drafted in this, I assume. Um, I assume you have him in your top 14. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so like, we'll get into why he's, guys of his ilk are such attractive potential prospects. Even to this day, even to this day, it's tough for organizations to pass up a guy who gets you an empty 20 PPG. I said we'll get into this. <laughs> but that's, I just want to give a little teaser. Yeah. In case they didn't know exactly what Rudy's game was all about. Well, that's kind of... 50% of the, 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 the point. But yeah, exactly. Guys can put up buckets. Good NBA frame. They'll always fall for that. Um, number nine, Patrick O'Brien. Mohamed Sine, another number 10, number hu- another huge bust. Patrick O'Brien was a huge bust as well. Patrick um, O'Brien was a Toronto Raptor for a brief stint. Oh, right. I forgot about that. But good 
good reference there. Okay, now we'll just like, I guess we'll go through some of the relevant ones. I mean, next one, JJ Redick, very relevant, yeah. has had and still having a very good career. Thabo Cephalosha was pretty good. Ronnie Brewer, like, had a couple games. I don't know. He wasn't really that good, actually. Rajon Rondo at 21 to Phoenix. Um, obviously, he ends up in Boston. Um, Kyle Lowry, number 24 to Memphis. Uh, he's going to come up a lot earlier than that. Not only were the players in this draft pretty bad, but the people selecting the players were equally as bad. The talent is spread all throughout the first and second round here. Yeah, um, I mean, you have some of the best players in this draft in the second round, late second round. I mean, Paul Millsap taken number 47, um, and he's, I mean, where do I have him in my redraft? Very high. Um, he's a multi-time all-star. Yeah. He went 47th. That's a, that's a big mistake. Yeah. Can't pass um, up that guy. P.J. Tucker, number 35, drafted by the Raptors. Even Steve Novak. Yep. Catch and shoot, three guys played 11 years in the league. Daniel Booby Gibson, number 42. But anyway, um, overall, uh, to the listeners out there, overall, this is just a hot pile of garbage draft. Um, not a lot of talent coming from this draft. And, and of course, the year that we got the number one pick was like the worst draft class of all time. Well, yeah, that was like at the time, basically the most Raptors-y thing you could <laughs> at possibly the time. have. Like The Raptors were known for worse things than championships like 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. I mean, think about it. Like, had we had the very next year, 07, I mean, that's Greg Oden and Kevin Durant. We would have messed that up too. We probably would have taken Oden. We probably would have taken Oden. Yeah. So um, it's, just, it's just a bad time. It's like, oh, my God, who would have thought? His knees. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we would have been laughing at whoever took Bonyani the previous year. Yeah, I mean, had we gone 08, I mean, that's like Blake Griffin and all those guys. Like, The problem is not no, landing. No, no, sorry, Blake the, Griffin was 09. Sorry, I meant 08 yeah. is Derek Rose and Russell Westbrook and those guys. Our luck probably would have gotten Rose in his... Probably would have taken Kevin team. Love. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I've ranked, the, uh, I've ranked all the drafts from 96 through 2012. I have this one fourth last. What is behind them? Uh, I got 99, Jason Terry, Sean Marion, Elton Brand. Then I got uh, Amari, Carlos Boozer, Tejon Prince. and then Wait, what, what year is that? 2002. Right. And then 2000, I got Jamal Crawford, Michael Red, yeah, Hito yeah. Turkoglu. 2000 being the worst, right? Maybe we can do a 2000 redraft. That's a funny one. That That is like... Well, it's just a hot pile of garbage everywhere. Yeah, that's um, the creme de la creme of terrible yes, picks. Yes, it is. So actually, before we start into redrafting these uh, these terrible players, um, I have two interesting stats. One about Bargnani, and I actually want to talk about Bargnani a little bit before we get into the redraft. Um, but they're, uh, basically, I did some research on uh, basketball reference, just seeing how bad some of these busts were in this draft. Um, which would you rather hear first, my like kind of interesting tidbit? Bargnani's uh, stat or Adam Morrison's stat? We're going to get into... Let's, let's do Adam Morrison first. Okay. Because his career was worse. It was worse. And it's actually more of a one-off. There's not much to say about Adam Morrison other than he was just not that good. Like, and really not that good. In fact, so I went on Basketball Reference, and I looked up out of all the lottery picks since the lottery era began. So since 1985, all top 14 picks in every draft, where does Adam Morrison rank in win shares? And the answer is fourth worst he's the fourth worst lottery pick ever since 1985 and he's just ahead of guys that recently got drafted actually josh jackson this guy called nicholas tiscavili i remember tiscavili early 2000s i don't really remember him maybe there's a reason why and dennis smith jr josh jackson and dennis smith jr if they somehow manage to kind of stick on the court maybe they end up being good enough to like pass surpass negative win shares because that's where they are right now right adam morrison being i believe negative 1.7 win shares in his career um let's look negative 1.4 i was wrong um but yeah so negative 1.4 win shares and they still won two championships with him riding the bench yeah that's a <laughs> pretty good that's not, <laughs> not too shabby adam yeah i wonder if phil jackson's like adam doing a great job just you sit on that bench and you keep sitting there <laughs> we might pull this off Okay, coach. Yeah. Well, they, they pulled it off. They pulled it off twice. Yeah. Um, what do they even say? Like, you know how they have, like, special things on their rings? Like, when they get their championship rings, sometimes they have, like, little sayings, like, or do a little they? something that's, like, unique to the person. Right. Yeah, they do, like, every so often. I wonder, like, what did they say with Adam? Adam's they... probably just said thanks. 
Dude, I wonder if they even put his name in, like, nondescript player number <laughs> three. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Bench seat number 13. Like, their equipment manager probably had a more um, heartfelt message within the ring than Adam did. I wonder if I can find Adam Morrison's ring. Online? Yeah. Even though it's just a picture, just see where it was engraved. No, they typically only... When you look at the, 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 the rings online, they typically show, like, the marquee player. You'd probably see Kobe Bryant. But yeah. anyway. Um, R.I.P. to him, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bad year. Yeah. 2020. Terrible year. Almost as bad as this, as draft. this draft. Well said. That's how bad it is. Almost as bad as 2020. Okay, so let's talk about Andre Bargnani, because I had a similar stat for him. Um, you talk about him being a real bust as a first overall pick, and he was. In fact, um, by win shares, he was, since the lottery era again, so since 1985, fourth worst first overall pick. Um, he's ahead of guys, just ahead of guys, like Kwame Brown and also Markel Fultz. Markel Fultz will probably pass him because he's so. kind of like doing stuff now. So. I think Markel's on, he's on Orlando. He's yeah. got a better system. I think he's slowly figuring it out. He's learned how to shoot a little bit. Yeah, learned like, how to play. Yeah, so. his numbers are up. Defense is better. I think yeah. he's going to pass him. He'll yeah. be fine. Yeah, he'll probably manage to do something and get into those positives there. Um, you got to think, though, how did Markel end up getting drafted where he did given the jump shot? Because he was a good shooter in Washington when, like, Washington State University. How does that happen? Well, he's a unique case. I mean, if you're talking about him, uh, like, reports say that, like, he had a weird injury with his shoulder, and then, unbeknownst to the entire team, he and some shooting trainer just changed the shot. And also, he got the shooting yips. He definitely got the shooting yips. Yeah, it's got to be a little mental there. Yeah, 100%. Um, But yeah, he, Andre Bagnani, fourth worst, likely going to be third worst by win shares and um and you know what's incredible with that if you actually pull back and you look at Bargnani's stats without knowing who it is you're looking at this guy and you're going wow you know what pretty decent career well okay actually I want to get into that because obviously when you think about Andrea you think of him being a bust and he was he was a bust but people forget how um what's the word I'm looking for how uh promising the start of his career was it, it, it legitimately was promising. Right, because the level of bust is linked heavily to the level of expectation. That is true. That's the issue. If he went second round, this well, would have yeah. been a phenomenal steal. Yeah, but I mean, I guess with that talent he, and that potential, he was never going to be a second round pick. Huh? Who knows? But point is, like, he was legitimately a promising player. His first year was that year when we got back into the playoffs. It was our first year with Brian Colangelo. That 016 was really fun. With like Anthony Parker, Jorge Garbajosa, who came over from Europe, um, TJ Ford, Jose Calderon had that PG platoon. Yeah. And in his first year, he put up 11.6 points in 25 minutes off the bench. We made the playoffs. We were a little spunky. We lost to the Vince Carter and Jason Kidd Nets in six games uh, in the playoffs that, that year. Yeah, we got um, torched. And Vince yeah. torched the Raptors that yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like we were spunky, but what we weren't ready. Um, and then year two, we, uh, he had his worst year. Actually, he had the sophomore sump completely, um, still made the playoffs year three, another good year, um, 15 points per game, 41% shooting from three on 3.7 attempts. Not bad. Year four was his best year where he went 17.2 points per game on 47% from the field and 37% from three. Um, and also had his career high in 6.2 rebounds. So like, Started off pretty good. He's not the star that you wanted, but like he started off looking promising. But then right after that, that's when things started going bad. Well, because so Bosch leaves that yes, year. Bosch leaves right after that year, and then you look at our team success right after Bosch's leave. The year that Bosch, the year right before Bosch left, we were forty and forty-two. Obviously, if you remember, we struggled down the stretch because Bosch broke his face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, he set some games out with that face healed. Yeah. Um, and then, so our first year without Bosch, obviously, was going to be rough, but 22 and 60, first year. 23 and 43, but second hold up. year. 22 and 60 with Bargnani averaging 21 a game and pushing for an all star spot. Right. Like, that shows you that when you look at this without context, you're really not getting the full scope of what these stats mean and why he's considered such a bust. No, exactly. He was a completely empty stats guy. Yeah. Um, once he was the main guy, he started putting up 20 PVG, which, like, anytime you look at stats and you see 20 points per game, is going to get you noticed. But there was nothing else. And also, he never got rebounds. He, like, he was 
I mean, not a very winning player. And it bears out in the fact that the year that Bargnani finally left, we traded him partway through the year to the Knicks in 2013-14. Um, we went 48-34. and 34. That was the random year we were trying to tank. And uh, suddenly, out of nowhere, like we ended up making the playoffs. He got no rebounds because he was soft. He was never in the paint. I can't believe... I mean, I can believe it. James Dolan traded for Andrea Bargnani. Yeah. Like, we fleeced them in that trade. Yeah, I mean, we really did. Relatively speaking, we got Steve Nomack, Steve Novak, Marcus Camby, Quentin Richardson, but a 2016 first-round pick, which and some second-round picks that never worked out, but that's that first-round pick ended up being very important because that was Jakob Pertl, who was good enough that enabled the Raptors to trade him as part of the Kawhi Leonard trade instead of a guy like OG Ananobi or Siakam. Are you saying that the Toronto Raptor fan base has James Dolan to thank for the NBA championship? Well, I was kind of, I was kind of, I was kind of implying that maybe they have a little bit of Andrea Bargnani to thank for that. At least he managed to so bear some Bargnani fruit. So if Andrea Bargnani was any better, we wouldn't have been able to make that trade. It was our destiny for him to be so bad that we need to make a fleece the Knicks into a trade. But that not bad enough get... to where that we couldn't acquire that 2016 exactly. Pick. He was as good as he needed to be yeah. to eventually lead us to a championship by leaving. But that would um, make for a great plaque. <laughs> You left, and we were better. But literally... Um, you were exactly as bad as we needed you to be. Yeah, I mean, literally, I guess all that you can say about Andrea is the fact that the best thing that ever happened to the team was him leaving. And that all you really need to say about the effect that he had. Yeah, it just didn't work out in the NBA. I mean, he was good in Italy, obviously, because he went first overall, and he was highly touted. But the game just didn't transition. Yeah. Too physical, too fast, couldn't keep up. It wasn't like he was a knockdown three-point shooter. He had a couple you mean good the, years. the NBA was too physical and too fast? Yeah. He was not too physical and too no, fast. No, no, no. His was, issue wasn't that he was too good. It was that he was not good enough. Yeah. Um, In case I wasn't clear, the issue with Bonani wasn't he was too talented. <laughs> he didn't adapt too well. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, so that's all I really have to say about Andrea. He'll well, still be drafted in this draft, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. will. Okay, well... You want to just get into the redraft then? You want to do number one? You want, want me to take it? I'll do number one because I have an interesting... Um, well, yeah, I'll do number one because I have something interesting on this guy I'm going to take. All right, go for it. Well, I'm going to take LaMarcus Aldridge. I assume that's who you had number one as well? It is. Yeah, LaMarcus Aldridge. Like, what's... I mean, there's nothing not to like about the guy. Just consistent throughout his career, 19-8, and eight, almost every, every single season. Like, basically 19-8. He's doing this, in fact, in his 14th season, he's still averaging 19-8. So, tremendously consistent. I mean, he doesn't reach a peak that a lot of other star players can reach, but very high ceiling. I mean, very high floor, I should say. Um, I mean, you know what you're getting with him. Uh, seven-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA player. Um, I actually have another little interesting stat for you. Um, so do you know how many players averaged at least 18.5 points per game and seven rebounds per game in their 14th year or higher? How many players? I got to think it's the smallest. Maybe five close eight but it's a list that you'd like to be on so here's the player here are the other players that in their 14th year or more have averaged at least 18.5 points and seven rebounds carl malone did it five times lebron james four times so far kareem abdul jabbar moses malone pal gasol did it once hakeem olajuwon did it once Shaq did it once artist gilmore a random uh random guy who I looked it up at the time. I believe it was like a seventh round pick back oh, in the wow. day when they had a lot of rounds. I think he played in the 80s. I'd have to look again. That's crazy that the NBA had more rounds when there was less teams. Fewer teams. I think that's the proper vernacular. But you're right. <laughs> uh, if you listen to like uh, basketball historians. If you listen to basketball historians. Um, I'm sorry I'm not the Shakespearean scholar I should have been. No, you definitely are not. Um, can you let, let me finish my sentence? If you listen to basketball historians, um, like some of these drafts in the NBA draft when they got way down, I mean, they'd be drafting like, it's kind of like the MLB draft. And they started drafting like sons of people they knew, right. like you knew, or like just a random college kid from like a local area. It's like, hey, like. The local baker. <laughs> yeah, it's like local college kid, you know, like come out and try out for the team. You're never going to make it. <laughs> but yeah, um, look, other than Artis Gilmore, who's like not really talked about um everyone else on there great guy to be around 
Yeah, good list. I mean, it, I think the biggest testament to his career is what he's still doing. Yeah, exactly. 13 years of at least 17 and 7. His sophomore year was 18 and 8. And then he never looked back, putting up basically the same numbers. He had a bit of a peak uh, 2013, 2014 with the stats-wise. But yeah, super solid. You know what you're going to get. And I think it's kind of unclear when he's going to stop producing. Like his numbers aren't really taking well, a, a back big seat. body. Like he's a big body. Um, he never really relied on his pure athleticism that much. Um, he can shoot, obviously. And as the NBA gets smaller, I mean, fewer and fewer guys are going to be able to get up a hand up on his uh, shot. Um, I can see him playing for a few more years, definitely, and still contributing. I think, I think he's probably a type of guy who you'll see down the line end a bench, like ring chasing. You know, it could be. Could be not a huge ego guy either, so I could see him taking a lesser role and continuing his career. No, but no, not a huge ego guy. I think I remember, and I could be wrong, but I think I remember reading some stuff about when Damian Lillard was starting to come on at the end of his Portland tenure, Lamarcus's right, right, Portland right. tenure. That is, he wasn't exactly like in, uh, enthralled by that development, but yeah, um, solid guy to have around. Um, a thousand career games he's played in, nine hundred and sixty-two of them. Yeah, I'm looking at games played uh, versus games finished here, and every season, man, he's playing all the games he started. Yeah, it's durable. crazy. Um, and uh, we'll see him in uh, the Hall of Fame someday. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, all right. Pick number so, two. Yep, you go. Uh, Kyle Lowry. Is that what you got? Yeah, that's who I had as well. I mean, Kyle. Similar story to Aldridge uh, later in the years, but people forget that Kyle's start to his career was rough. Bad. Really bad, yeah. I mean, and Rocky, because... Kudos to Kyle for sticking through that and finding his way as a starting point guard on a championship team. Well, it was ro- one of the reasons why it was Rocky was because he had all that spunk that you still see, but not the skill that he still that he displays now. Yeah. He was basically just a loudmouth, bad player. All bulldog without the finesse to back yeah. it up early on. Um, Memphis years were rough. Yeah. Houston um, years, putting up better numbers, but still nothing special. Well, the Houston years was what attracted him to Toronto because he started putting up... He became, like, I guess, a quote-unquote analytics darling um, in his Houston years. He started... One of the reasons why the Raptors got him was because in a lot of advanced analytics... Um, and, like, I don't really know what they were at the time, but, like, this is literally just me listening to other NBA reporters talk anecdotally um a lot of advanced analytics suggested that he had the potential to be a top 10 point guard that's why we that's why we uh um targeted him and that is obviously born fruit um but yeah his first few years in the league very rocky um i mean i guess he was a guy like bad situation right i mean i mean you can compare him to chauncey billups right that's one of his biggest comparables yeah i mean not only from the way his career turned out but Mm-hmm. the way his game is right not yeah. a ton of athleticism not a ton of finesse in his game but found a niche found a team with good players around him to support his game yeah what are you um, laughing at you smile at something you got something yeah well you're saying not a lot of athleticism um uh zach Lowe likes to say um his two greatest uh nba skills are his mind and his butt <laughs> for lowry yeah yeah like smart yeah, heady accurate. smart heady player also a big uh big booty to keep people off him low center of gravity oh yeah I mean, he's a bowling ball. I mean, oh, yeah. You know, like, one of the things that the Raptors are successful at, um, and if you watch enough Raptors games, you'll, like, if you watch Raptors games, you'll see we actively see, seek these matchups where, you know how a lot of um, teams, they'll do, like, the 1-5 uh, pick and, uh, the 1-5 one, one pick and roll, yeah. hope that they switch uh, the, the point guard onto the 5, and they'll dump it into the 5 for an easy layup. The, the Raptors are happy to switch that because Kyle Lowry, you try to back that guy down, it is exceptionally hard. Even for a big, big guy like a seven-footer, he's not moving. Right. <laughs> or he'll take a stupid charge. Right. Like, that will piss, probably piss his players off to no end. Yeah. Yeah, Kyle, great, great taking charges. Maybe yeah. the all-time great. I don't even know how many times he's led the Do league. they track that? They must track that stat, charges yeah. taken. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. leads the league in tra- charges taken. Yeah. Well, prior to the bubble starting, um, he is tied for first. I got I to gotta knock Lowry for a little bit here because... He went number two in this draft, but... You mean number two in this redraft? Sorry, number two in this redraft. First half of his career, nothing much. Really came to light uh, in Toronto. Struggled for the first few years in the playoffs with DeMar. 
Uh, eventually, obviously, traded for Kawhi. He had some big games. Uh, Lowry did during that year. They won the chip, and he's having a great year this year as well. But uh, on draft night, the little blurb on the Kyle Lowry yeah. draft page was, Jim Rat, but he doesn't shoot the ball. Well, he didn't. I know, but look at the player he became. He became a player who had the confidence to go 1 of 17 and then shoot one more time to go 1 of 18. Yeah. I mean, he never lacked in uh, confidence, but, I mean, if you look at his, that played out. I mean, if you look at his uh, three-point percentage in his second full year, he shot 25%. Third year, 25%. Fourth year, 27%. Like... It's poor. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't very good. Um, But... I mean, he's a much more solid three-point shooter now. Best uh, Raptor point guard all time? Best Raptor player all time over the course of his career. I would strongly disagree. Really? Is that based on, like, cumulative success? It's yeah, obviously just not talent. General, no, of course not talent. I didn't say most talented. I just said best Raptor ever over the course of his career. I think, like, he's played a lot of years here, and he's had tremendous team success, and he's generally been very, very good as a player himself. I think you mix that all together. And that equals best Raptor of all time. Obviously, sure. the talent level, if you look at most talented Raptors, Kawhi, Vince, Tracy, Bosch. Bosch. Um, maybe even Stoudemire. Mm, nah. Maybe even DeMar. From just no. talent alone, I think talent alone, DeMar might be better than Lowry. Well, he doesn't put it up in the statistical categories other than points. I mean, if you looked at, if we're getting into the DeMar and Kyle-led Raptors, I mean, um, DeMar... There's a reason why he's not well-liked by any analytics community, and it's because he's not very efficient, and there's a lot of things that played out where, like, he's constantly negative in, like, plus-minus, right? Con- his, his, his lineups, let me, let me finish. Um, his lineups, like, if you look at our starters, remember the, 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 uh, the common um, storyline for Raptors uh, throughout was the starters would not play to the lead, and then our bench would always take over. Well, Lowry was often playing with those bench lineups, and those Lowry plus bench lineups were always good. Lowry was always the engine that made the Raptors run. DeMar was good in his own right, but there's a reason why DeMar is a controversial player, and because there's a lot of things he doesn't do well, doesn't defend well, doesn't shoot efficiently. Like He's getting be- becoming a better playmaker, but that developed over time. I think Lowry's a better all-around player. The only thing that DeMar can do better is score. He might, he might be better overall player. I'm not sure if that's the same as saying more talented. I'd, I mean, like, DeMar's mid-range game just doesn't translate to today's NBA game, but you have a lot of talent to hit a mid-range game. It's, it's the hardest shot to have. Okay, fine. It's generally like, always guarded. It's usually off balance. But where do you draw the line defenders. between talent and production, right? Like, I mean, even this year for the Spurs, like, points per game is good. His shooting percentage is just unbelievably good. Like, career-high good. He went on a stretch when he was shooting like 60% from the field mm-hmm. while averaging like 28 a game for them. Well, he can definitely score. He can put the ball in the basket. I do like DeMar. I have a soft spot for him because like he, it didn't work out because he got sandbag traded out for Kawhi, even though you got to do that trade every time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he gave it all here. We had some good runs. We ran into LeBron every year, which was tough, but you know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully. And Demar could never him. even guard his guy. I mean, like he. Well, his guy was LeBron. No, it wasn't. They never even bothered putting. They would never put LeBron, Demar on LeBron if they could help it. I mean, if you want to talk about uh, who he was guarding in the last year, where we really thought we could maybe beat the Cavs, he was guarding Cal Corver, and they sent him through a ton of screens, and Cal Corver killed us. But that's a horrible matchup for Demar to have to chase Why? Corver around. Guy can't defend. Okay, he's pitching toad as hell. Like we know, Demar is a turnstile defender, and that's one of the reasons why he's bad. I mean, not as good. Sorry, he's not bad. He's a good player. But he's not as good as, like, some other guys. And I think Kyle's a better player, just in general. But we're not talking about that. I'll just, uh, we'll continue with the redraft. We got off topic here. Um, I'll go number three. And I am going to take... Charlotte. Charlotte is on the board. That is right. Charlotte's on the board. Instead of taking Adam Morrison, I will take Rajon Rondo. Um, Rajon, uh, kind of like the opposite of Kyle. Instead of sucking at the start and becoming uh peaking in his later years rajon was really good right from the beginning um i mean he was part of those really good boston teams won championship he was the starting point guard on a championship team can't take that away from him. tough as nails guy stat stuffer great playmaker i mean he was putting he was like the t- he was putting up those huge triple double like 
monstrous games where it's like 17 points, 18 rebounds, 20 assists, that he was doing that before Russell was doing that, yeah. right? Yeah, Russell sure. took it to another level, like a slight another level, but I think people forget a little bit because of what Rajon has become since. He's had some tumultuous times in Dallas, um, had a little run in uh, New Orleans with throwing lobs to Anthony Davis, but it really peaked early with Boston, and, you know, now it's just kind of like running its course. I think the NBA has surpassed him because he can't, frankly, can't really shoot. I mean, he's already been in the league a long time, so the fact that it's kind of slowing down now is okay. But kudos to him for getting out of the gate uh, early and being put into a pretty tough position. I mean, he was expected to run the offense for Garnett, Pierce, Allen, with Doc Rivers coaching them. Right, well, they had, like, I mean... If we're talking about running the offense, obviously the point guard, he did a lot of that. But down the stretch, I mean, it was Paul Pierce. But Rajon Rondo, one of the best floor generals of all right. time. All time. He was good. I, I mean, not, I mean, not, I don't know. If you had to put it, if you had to do rankings, I mean, I don't know where he ranked. He was a really good player. Really good point guard. I, Still, I, don't think, I don't think anybody can just jump in and facilitate to three Hall of Famers no. the way he ran that offense. There's better point guards than Rajon Rondo, but as far as that fit with that right. team, I don't know if you could have found a better fit than Rondo on that Boston team. Okay, good point. I'll 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 agree with that. Yeah. Um and one thing he was really good early, which I mean, he kind of like really stopped trying later on, but great defender early on. Yeah. And it makes sense how long he is, um, his athleticism, tough as nails guy as well. Um remember that one play against Orlando when he dove for the ball? I wasn't against Orlando. That was I. I think I know what you're talking about. I thought it was Jason Williams. He dove in like, in the opposition's paint, and his elbow dislocated. No, dude. How do you forget that this was against Miami Heat in the playoffs? Dwayne Wade pushed him as they're going for a as they're going for a, a loose ball, fifty fifty ball, and he dislocated his elbow. Was he it did. Dwayne Wade? Maybe. Yeah, it was Dwayne Wade. It was hundred percent Dwayne Wade. Oh, okay. Wade. I remember this else. very vividly. Yeah. Um, it was gross. But like, he didn't miss a game. He was back. No, he was back. Yeah, tough as nails guy. Also. Little uh, little um, trivia for for you guys. Uh, tremendous Connect Four player. Boasts, really? Yeah, he's never lost a game of Connect Four, as he boasts. How would you know that? Uh, it's like it's something if you're if you read enough NBA stuff, it's just something that comes up. He's just randomly like apparently a Connect Four mastermind. Every single year, I try and sneaky draft Rondo into my fantasy draft. Well, he's great. But even now, even now, I'm still yeah. trying to... I, he didn't really pan out for me this year, but... Well, he'll uh, play. He'll be in the league again next year. He's going to be playing for a few more years, I'm sure. I'll get him again. Every year that goes by, I can get him one round later. Yeah. <laughs> still get him, though. Yeah. Okay, um, well, enough on Rajon. Uh, you're number four. Who are you taking? Okay, so I actually had Rajon four, so I'm going to go with my number three pick. Uh, I got Millsap. Really? Number, Millsap number three? Yeah. I mean, okay. over Rajon. I'd, I'd Millsap a little lower, but I don't hate the pick. Go ahead. Um... Millsap, he's kind of like baby Aldridge. Okay. Yeah. Similar games, similar consistency. Numbers weren't as high uh, as far as a peak, but he had you had a good run on that that Atlanta team with Jeff Teague and Joe Johnson, Damari Carroll. Uh, those were sixty win regular season teams. He's good, in, he's good teams. in Denver yeah. now. He was good in Utah. He's been good everywhere he goes. Personally, for me, I think I'm. Uh, maybe a more accurate comparison is he's like a big man version of Kyle Lowry. I don't know. He's just a winning player, makes all the plays you'd want. It's not necessarily about what he shows on the, like your traditional box score stat line, although he does that too. I mean, he can put in points, get rebounds and like shoot the ball really well, but he just like, he's just a good player to have on your team. He can defend well. Um, He's professional. You never hear of anything off the court, like on the court, like he'll fit into any system. Clearly, he's been on three yeah. teams and had success everywhere. I feel like those second rounders, when you hit on them, that's it's almost better because of how humble they are as being second rounders and they were never highly touted. It's like they'll just go in there and like, yeah, whatever you need, I'll do it. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, but Paul was definitely one of those guys. Uh, great player. Uh, nothing really else to say. Just four-time consecutive All Star. He's made so many playoff playoffs as well. He's been on. Like, I'd have to check. Let me. Check I got it right his, here. Hold on. Let me pull it up. Yeah, he's made, like, so many different uh, playoff... Uh, ten. Ten playoff seasons? Ten playoffs. Yeah. That's out of 14 years. So, And that's not including this, this year, year, where yeah. his 14th year, so 11. Good for him. Yeah, exactly. Paul Millsap, good pick. Yeah, okay, so I got number five, and I'm going to take the guy I had, I had number four, but I'm going to so take... So you had two guys over Millsap? Yes. All right, let's hear it. Brandon Roy. 
Oh, okay. All right. Um, he's the biggest what if in this draft to me. He's the most talented player, I think, bar none. He might be the biggest what if in NBA history. Um, Len Bias might be. Yeah, but because he just he never even played. He died right away. That, yeah, but like we saw what Roy was becoming. Yeah, but I mean that means like Len Bias could have played. 10 NBA games and been a bust immediately. Well, by all accounts, he was amazing, but... Yeah, well, so, like, they could say the same thing fair about enough, Odin whatever. and Bargnani and Kwame Brown. Like, you got to show yeah. before we can give you the Okay, accolades. fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Point is, like, huge what if. Um, look, when he came in, like, I mean, talk about the fact that he came in and right away, he was good. And I mean, really good. Wins Rookie of the Year, his first year. Then he goes, All-Star, 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 hurt and done. Like... His basketball reference page is ridiculous. He's made an All-NBA second team in 08-09, All-NBA third team in 2009-2010, and then he's done. And he, he, tried, and he tried in Minnesota for a bit. Yeah. Um, and those knees, they just never held up. And the thing is that teams knew going in that he had bad knees. So, like, I don't know. If I'm a team drafting him, maybe there's a way to stem the uh, the the progression of his knee injuries. I mean, it didn't help that he played like 38 minutes per game. Yeah. Um, and I can they understand. Him. Oh they yeah. Him. Well, he I was mean, amazing. You could have done one of two things. If you're going to draft him one, you cross your fingers and hope for the best that his knee injuries are behind him. Or two, you got to start with the load management. Mm-hmm. And no, that wasn't backs. a thing. That wasn't a thing back then. It wasn't if a thing, drafted- but knowing what you have in this guy with his issues, maybe that's the guy who starts it. If he's drafted today, He's load managed. If he's drafted today, he probably never sees more than 60 games regular season. Ever. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when he establishes how good he is, right? Yeah. Like, if you have an all-NBA talent, but you know he has injury issues, then you give him the Kawhi treatment. It's like, hey, man, you're going to be just chilling. Brandon Roy was the man. He was. He was a baller, too. He yeah. kind of actually reminds me of, like, Damian Lillard a little bit with yeah. his big shots and just big his shots, attitude. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, but, yeah. Um, Tough as nails, too bad, man. Yeah, I mean, I think any time when you're the fifth pick and you can get the most talented player in the draft, like you have an opportunity for that, just go for it. And maybe in an alternate universe, which is what I'm pretending here, maybe it works out a little bit better. So here's the thing. I actually had Brandon Roy going eighth to Houston, and here is why. That Mm. 07 Houston team had 25 PPG Tracy McGrady, had 25 and 9 Yao, and the supporting cast was Ray for Alston, Shane Battier, Dikembe Mutombo, Juwan Howard. They ended up losing to the Jazz in the first round. But if you can give that team two, three years of early Brandon Roy. They lost to Darren Williams in Jazz there. They did. Darren Williams was a bad man when he came to the league. Another That's guy another who guy who like, flamed hot early and then kind of mm-hmm. disappeared. I think the second you get to the Nets, something happens to you. And then just. <laughs> something about the Nets, yeah. I don't know what it is. Like, but, um, yeah. I anyway, mean, we I don't have him. to talk about Kyrie and what I think their future is, but. It's just I think Nets got some bad juju there. Bad juju with bad players. They take good players past their prime and yeah, way Kevin over. Kevin Paul Pierce played for the Nets. Yeah. yeah, they beat us in the first round. So anyway, I had Roy going to Houston because I think that would have been a good pairing, but obviously took him first. You think like you take these redrafts a little different than I do. I just kind of think of the player. I don't really consider too much the team. You like to consider the team a little bit more. A little bit gives another yeah, side too. You would have yeah. been funny with that Houston pick though. Is that Tracy and Yao both had basically career-ending injuries. All three of these guys probably would have en- exited the league at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they would have had two really good years, and then suddenly they're all gone. Yeah, all at once. Like, <laughs> Daryl Morey's like, what happened? Where'd they go? Oh, man, that was quick. Yeah, oh, well, damn. time to rebuild. Um, but yeah, that would have been a really good team. But, c'est la vie. Okay, so uh, you're now number six. Okay, so... Let's try six. to make these a little quicker. I got um, JJ Redick. Yeah. Because, uh, for the record, I mean, after the next couple picks, I think, well, JJ, you just took him number six. I actually had him number six. After the next guy, I think there's a pretty precipitous drop-off. But I mean, I would say after Rondo. Well, yeah, there's tiers of drop-offs. Right, right. But, yeah, there's an even bigger one where, like, no longer are you talking about guys who are, like, starters, really, on so, a good team. I mean, Reddick's still in the league, still putting up the same numbers as you always have with the same yeah. game. You know what you're going to get, basically, I love for the Redick. whole career. He's kind of... I, who would you pick, Reddick or Kyle Korver? You had to pick one. Probably Reddick. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, something that is surprising about Reddick, known for a three-point knockdown guy, 14th all-time, tied with LeBron and Jarrett Smith. 
In total threes? Yeah, total. You'd, well, yeah, because he'd be a little higher. Well, he's a career forty percent three point shooter. You got to look at the rate. I mean, if you look at the start of his career, right? I mean, he started with Orlando. Even when Orlando made the finals in that 0-9 team, he wasn't playing. Um, it was only later in his career, Orlando, then he was traded to the Bucks, and then it wasn't really until he got to like the Clippers where he started like becoming well, well known. He, I mean, look. He's a guy, he, he's terrifying. He's one of those guys where, like, I think a good way to tell how good a player is is how do you feel when they have the ball or when they're on the court? And when J.J. Redick has the ball and he's about to shoot in a tight, like, playoff game, for example, I am fucking terrified. Like, during that Raptors... Assuming second, you're on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. During the Raptors' second-round series against Philly, where, like, obviously... Kawhi made that shot, um, but JJ had a really good series, and he was making shots. Like anytime he let it fly, I'm like, oh my god, no! Like give yeah. it to someone else. Make Embiid shoot a stupid three point shot. Right. Make uh, Ben Simmons try to do something in a clogged lane. His release is so automatic too. Yeah. Um, good pick at five. Or no, what pick are we on here? Ah, uh, that was six. Yeah, you um, better pick at six. Yeah. Um, but I got. Uh, but at the same time, I got nothing else to say about JJ Redick. Um, I have a funny little tidbit, I guess, about J.J. Redick. Um, you know how like, you hear mo- a lot of NBA players who, uh, like, oh, I get up at 3 a.m. to go work out. Right. Like, I get up stupid early, and I work out for five hours or something. J.J. is like, I listen to, you know, he has, like, the, the Ringer podcast, yeah. and he's pretty personable. I listen to him on the Low Post, actually. He talks, like, about a shooting regimen because he has, obviously, a very specific one. You don't become a great shooter by accident. He's like, yeah, I'm in the gym by 9 nine every day and zach's like i i appreciate the fact that you get there at a normal hour yeah so yeah yeah, i get there at nine i do my thing until like noon or something like do a normal work and i'm just there and i work when i get there i'm not like he doesn't have to get up at five or three a.m to do it i mean like i'm hearing these kobe bryant stories where he's like in the gym kobe bryant was a freak he was a freak but like what i don't understand like everybody has basically the same amount of stuff to do during the day as an nba player why did Kobe feel the need to get there at 3? Like, what did he do? So, say his workout was done by 6. What is he doing from 6 in the morning till 10? What's he doing? Working out again? I don't know. I guess. Um, Maybe Kobe's a bad example. Kobe's a... Like, I mean, Kobe was a legendary, just workaholic freak. I mean, he never slept, right? Like, they had guys, they had trainers. You hear about, like, stories where they had just had trainers on hand, and they get a text at 4 a.m. It's like, hey, man, going in. Come with me. Like, How many people, like, lost people, celebrities, athletes, like, lost people say... Oh, I wake up at the crack of dawn. I start my day with a protein shake and a lift. How many of these guys are lying? I don't think a lot because ultimately, I mean, if you're looking at the celebrity lifestyle, eventually they're going to have to film it to show how cool they are. I don't know. They can do it for one day. I don't know. Yeah, they can do it for one day. I know, like, Mark Wahlberg does that. Like, Mark Wahlberg literally, like, gets. Well, Mark Wahlberg's got, like, a bunch of kids. Like, he drives them to school. Like, I've seen those videos too. Like, I get it if you got to be up for a certain time. But, like, Mike Tyson apparently gets up at five every morning these days. Iron Mike? Yeah. Well, Iron Mike's training for a comeback. Well, he is now. Yeah, man. Okay, well, I mean, this podcast isn't about celebrities and getting up early, so <laughs> let's just continue. <laughs> All right, let's go. Um, so number seven, and I'm going to take Rudy Gay. And um, look, he's had a pretty good career, uh, but like a lot of these types of players, um, it, it hasn't been what teams hoped. And this is a kind of a point I want to make, and is that Rudy Gay is the exact type of guy, and there's other guys in the league, uh, like Andrew Wiggins, Jeff Green, where teams are always going to fall in love for these types of players, and they're always going to reach for these types of players. It's the three, it's the the, the small forwards, the, the wings that are about six foot eight ish, between six foot six, six foot eight ish, highly athletic, have shown they could shoot a little bit and they can get buckets. Because at the end of the day, like those are the guys that can really make or break your team. Sometimes they turn into a Rudy Gay, Andrew Wiggins, Jeff Green. Like I said not really working out like there's maybe they're gonna be solid role players to below average starters if they're too ball dominant but um they're still good players but sometimes they also turn into like Kawhi Leonard Paul George LeBron James I mean LeBron was a different example yeah, but I know I see what you're saying like he has a if career. they pop the point is like if they pop it's amazing it's 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 franchise changing to get this type of player who becomes good the problem is that like some of them don't become good. And Rudy Gay is the type that just, one of the types of guys who just didn't exactly pan out. He didn't pan out, and like, he's, he's an empty numbers guy. Like, if I had to ask you what is the one defining moment of Rudy Gay's career, could you come up with anything? I can't. I can, yes. Um, You're struggling. 
Yeah, I mean, I think of, and it's not even necessarily something he did. It's actually something like a fan posted. Like, you know how Rudy, um, just before he got to Toronto, he had like a little moment where he hit a, a string of game-winning shots. And he always went to that right baseline block. He would always get the ball at the top of the key, run to the right baseline, and hit about like a 12 to 15 footer kind of fading away or something contested. But he was good enough athletic to go over, and that was a shot. Yeah. He had a bunch of game-winning shots. There's actually, it's against the Raptors too. I'm, uh, against the Raptors, it's a Raptors fan with a grainy cell phone video down the stretch. And like you see he's in the stands, you're like, no, not Rudy. Don't give it to him. And then, like he makes it, and he's like, "No, you fucking asshole." Like, <laughs> and I think that's honestly what I think of. <laughs> like that's his most memorable moment. It's got to be. Yeah, I mean that's that's <laughs> sad for the for the many years he's played. That to be his go-to moment. Yeah, I mean, but that's the point. That's what we're trying to say about Rudy Gay. It's like you look at the numbers and you go, "Holy smokes, who is this guy?" And then you look at the results and you're like, "Nothing really happened." Well, he's another guy where, on two occasions. His team was better off without him. When Memphis traded him away to Toronto, they immediately became better because he put the ball in other people's hands, like Marc Gasol and uh, Mike Conley. Like, if um, he was somewhat useful, that team with Mayo, Randolph, Gasol, Conley should have been, and and Rudy Gay should have been dominant. You mean if he was, like, what they hoped he would become? Yeah. Yeah, but he wasn't that, right? I mean, with Toronto as well. He uh, started off hot, but... Again, we were better off without him, ultimately. The season we traded him, it was the same season we traded Bargnani, the season we traded him, we made the playoffs. We started getting better because we started giving the ball to DeMar, who at the time was better than Rudy, and we gave the ball more to Kyle and other guys, and just we also became a more uh, um, modern offense, like just yeah. spreading the floor a little bit more. And uh, like To sum it yeah. up, the problem with Rudy Gay is that his offense does not come in the flow of your team's offense. No, it's I got to get my buckets kind of offense. Well, it's also give it to Rudy and like let's see if he can get a bucket on his yeah. own. And there's only, and there's a very few, there's very few players who have been good enough at that bucket getting to warrant that type of uh, treatment. Carmelo Anthony being one of them, prime Carmelo. Yeah, I mean, that list time. is very small. The yeah, list of guys small. who can you can just dump it down, uh, high block, and let them get a bucket, it's a tiny single-digit list. Yeah, and but, I mean, when you get that guy, it's awesome, but... Interesting, though, that DeMar's gameplay is similar, and yet people have the similar criticisms about DeMar. Yeah, because I think, ultimately, they're kind of similar players. Does that mean that the mid-range ISO game is extinct, or should be? Well, because you look at guys like Kobe and Jordan, they thrived in the mid-range ISO game. It's a different game. I'll I'll say this: mid-range games, the mid-range game is still exceptionally important if you can hit it efficiently, and if you get to the playoffs and you see how teams defend because they know what the efficient shots are, which are corner threes and um, layups and at the basket attacks. Um, they will give you teams will actively give you decently open mid-range shots. So if you can hit them then that's important. I think it's important to be able to have a guy who can hit mid-range shots, but it shouldn't be something that you actively always search for. It should be something in your arsenal. And I mean, in the playoffs, the game slows down. It's more half-court. Exactly. You're going to need to get somebody who's going to get you a bucket. Right. Yeah. And oftentimes, like, when you have good defenses and they took away the three and there's no way you're getting to the rim, it's down the end of the shot clock, you just got to rise up and hit a mid-ranger. Going back to the Raptors example, we're not winning a championship if Kawhi Leonard doesn't hit just a ton of huge mid-range shots but Kawhi's um, one of those guys he's he one is. of those sort of top 10 guys who you can just it's give very ball useful if you, it's very useful if you can do it well right but if you can't do it well and you just take a bunch then it's terrible which is interesting because guys who can't do it well there's so many examples of them who don't change their game or are not asked to change their game but they just continue to beat down that mid-range game yeah well some guys get ingrained in their ways you know like it's just Rudy Gay ingrained in his ways yeah but I mean he kind of saw where it was going took pay cuts started taking pay cuts and uh like Draft day, he was compared to Charlie V. I thought that was weird. That didn't really... That's a weird... Yeah. I mean, lanky, slasher, can shoot the three. Yeah, but that was never even <laughs> Charlie V. He oh, could he shoot was, the he, three, but he wasn't... He, Charlie V was a four. He wasn't a three. Like, yeah. Rudy Gay was drafted as a three, and he's always been a three up until this point where he's now kind of a small ball four. Like, I don't... I, I didn't make the comparison. I'm just messing Yeah, no, you. I know. I know he didn't. But yeah. anyway, All right, way go. too much on Rudy Gay. Next pick? Yeah, you're number eight. Number eight, uh, I'm going with P.J. Tucker. 
Okay. Why do you say so, like... Because at this point, like, I think there's a few guys you can probably... You had, like, this. an inflection there as if, I, like, you weren't sure. Yeah, as if I just guessed... As I looking at this chart, like, I just guessed right now. I, I did have like, them slotted around here, so... Do you think that's how uh, Rob Babcock drafted guys? Babcock? Yeah, probably. I'll take, um... Raphael Rougeau? Yeah, he probably, like, goes to some guy in the back. Who Who's left? Who... Oh, that... Okay. Yeah, let's go with him. All right. <laughs> we're gonna go with this guy. Joey Graham? Yeah. That's a guy, right? Yeah. Right? He's got a brother, Jack, too. Okay, yeah. I like yeah. that guy. Let's go with him. Uh, no, P.J. Tucker, like, yeah, there's a big drop-off here, but still in the league, still playing on contenders, uh, lockdown defender, numbers nothing special, but he can hit a corner three if you need him to. Smart player. Kind of like a Tony Allen. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's super, a good pick. Superstar role player. Like, when you think about it. He's a type of, he's just your perfect glue guy. Um, I think this, this begs the question though, is the on-ball defender useful? Because a lot of these on-ball defender guys are asked to guard the opposing superstar scorer, but at the same time, these guys are always getting their numbers. It's well, never like you put PJ Tucker on somebody and they lock him down. Well, they do a pretty good job. I mean, if you don't have a good on-ball defender, then those guys are going to feast. I think... I kind of surprised you bring up this point. Of course, it's important. You need you need a good defender to guard someone. It's also important to have help defenders. No, no, because my argument is that defense is all about team defense. I don't think having one individual lockdown defender is going to help. Oh, there was lockdown defenders during Kobe's time, during Jordan's time, during Tracy's time, and Melo's time. They all got their numbers, no mm-hmm. matter who was on them. That's what I'm saying. Is the one lockdown defender really useful? Because one on one, these guys are going to get buckets on you. Yeah, but you might get them fewer buckets. You might give them a hard time. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It was never really noted. Like, oh, tonight it's uh, PJ Tucker against Carmelo Anthony. Last time he was held Carmelo to eight points. Well, look at like look at you brought him up earlier. Look at Tony Allen. He could never shoot. He could never really do anything offensively. His sheer purpose was to defend, and he was tremendously successful and important for that grit and grind team at defending, taking the best wing player and just locking him down. Right, but Memphis was a generally gritty defensive team. That's true. I mean, if you have that defensive identity, but it helps to have a great team defense, but it starts with the guy who's guarding the guy. If you want to stop uh, if you want to stop a star player, it starts with the guy who's initially guarding him, and then it works down from there. I guess. Well, I shouldn't be arguing this point because I did just draft P.J. Tucker. Yeah, you're the type of guy, <laughs> you draft I him and then you're like... and then I trash him immediately. Yeah, you take him and it's like, but he, is he really that good? And it's like, I don't know, man. You took him. You tell me. Yeah, I mean, that goes in line with this draft. I don't know who you're going to take next, but whoever it is, he's not that good either. So Okay, let's well, give it. number nine, um, I'll take Andrea Bargnani at this point, actually. Yeah, fair. Um, I had him 10. Okay, well, yeah, so around this area, uh, I think... Under different circumstances, like an alternate universe, um, I think he could work out if you just kind of accept who he is and maybe develop some of his strengths more. I don't know. I mean, maybe uh, you give up the fact that he's the next Dirk. And so you're like, hey, this is a guy who's got a pretty sweet stroke. Um, But I can't even point to one thing he was good at. Oh, no, he was ultimately terrible, terrible decision maker. I I don't know. I mean, the, the Raptors were also a trash franchise at the time, and I don't think it served him well to start on a poor uh, infrastructure that we had. The Raptors were just starting to be kind of successful. Like, Brian Colangelo, although, like, some of the things he did, he did got trashed. Like, he was good at le- laying foundations to what Masai took over and became, right? I mean, he was the one that got Kyle Lowry. For example, he drafted DeMar DeRozan. Um... That's true. He did get Kyle Lowry. However, at that time when Colangelo was debating getting Kyle Lowry, we were also debating trading for Steve Nash. Well, yeah. I mean, that's... Well, no one bats a 1,000 as a GM. No. Um, and some people bat a lot lower than that. That would have um, been terrible. He offered Nash three years, $36 million, which is 10 more than the Lakers ended up signing true. him for. But he also has a... I mean... He then played 65 games for the Lakers and then retired. Sometimes the best moves are the ones that you don't make or yeah, well so, said or i mean that don't get made for you because he would have definitely made that move he signed landry fields with the sheer purpose of uh making sure that uh the knicks couldn't get him because he locked in their cap space for a little bit um that's kind of the story how it worked i forget the exact nuances of why we got landry fields but i know it was connected to trying to get steve nash yeah I think and so then too. we just ended up with landry fields without steve nash right. and had the plan worked out perfectly it would have been terrible for us because we would have had both Landry Fields and Steve Nash. I, I mean, Steve Nash is all-time great, not at the time that we looked to acquire him. Landry Fields was never great. 
He was terrible. I was not a big fan. Uh, one funny point on Bargnani. So the draft was held in Jersey. They had the 22nd overall pick. When Bargnani was drafted first overall, he was booed heavily by the New Jersey crowd, which I don't understand at all. Like, were they hoping that he was going to slip? Were they hoping that he was going to fall to 22nd? I so think. They could take him? I Why think. The, I would be cheering. Like, oh my God, thank God he's off the board so he doesn't slip and we take him. I think the trauma that Andrea Bargnani caused in his last year uh, in the NBA with the Nets was so bad that like the space-time continuum just like <laughs> they it, felt the pain it shifted and it went back in time and so Nets fans just had like an intuitive sense to know it's like I'm gonna preemptively boo this guy because I know eventually he's gonna be trashed and be. on our team they probably looked at each that's other that's the going, only like, thing I could think of. yeah they go like hey why are you booing him it's like I don't know I got, I got this bad feeling though got, it's like yeah me too yeah got a bad feeling that he's gonna end up on our team and he's gonna suck Andrea first and last European ever selected first overall can't say last. I'm sure there's gonna be a guy pretty soonish. Europeans, man, like I mean, like there's a lot of good ones that keep coming in and will continue to. But whatever. Anyway, uh, okay, let's like run past these a lot quicker. Uh, I'm I'm picking up the pace as we're going. Let's okay, go. yeah. So uh, number ten. Uh, I'm going off the board. JJ Brea. Right. I like it. Yeah. Explain uh, very quickly. Um, he's 5'10", 175. Those are my dimensions. Yeah. Makes me think I could play in the NBA. That's why I've selected him. And he's good. Championship, locked down LeBron in the finals. Yeah. Uh, still in the league. You know he can take a cheap shot. That's important. Yeah, tough guy. Yeah, that um, forearm shiver by, uh, by why am I blanking on his name right now? Um, the guy in the Lakers, the center. Um, Bynum? Bynum, Andrew Bynum, yeah. yeah. Like, when... Big uh, elbow Bynum. Yeah. Um, bad knees Bynum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> um, yeah, no. I think during the combine, during these drafts, not only should they measure height and wingspan, measure like a little bit of ball weight, you know, yeah. just like plop them on, you know, the, like those scales, those grim, just like yeah, that behind, uh, ounces. yeah, behind um, a discreet curtain. So like, we're not embarrassing anyone, just kind of like plop them out. Maybe a, a doctor is there to yeah. observe. Yeah. Just note the weight. I don't know what teams would put into how, like how heavy someone's balls are, but I think it's important. I, I think it's pretty clear the heavier yeah. the better. I think when they draft a guy, they should say like he's six seven, seven one wingspan, thirty gram balls. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know if that's large. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what a testicle weighs. Yeah, but like I don't know. Start for hyster- historical context. We should go to LeBron. You gotta weigh his balls, so then we can know. I think we're or have Jordan's, to do a, Jordan's a few, balls. I mean, you need a few draft years though. Yeah. To start to compare. But you're with me on this, right? I think it should be something that should be done. Totally get it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. But. JJ if, Brea, if had they up. yeah had they been measuring it then I bet JJ's first overall pick were there. <laughs> you never know. Eleven, um, two. Yeah. Okay. I'll take a Thabo Cephalosha. Um, solid defender. Kind of shoot the three a little bit. A couple years he had a good three point shooting years. Otherwise he was not actually that good at three point shooting. But lockdown defender played on some good OKC teams. Uh, without Russell Westbrook and uh, Kevin Durant on, like, a different team, probably still in a rotation on a good team. So I'll take him now. Five playoff series where he logged more than 20 minutes per game, never had more than five points per game. He was never a scorer. It's about the other stuff that he did. Um, Also wasn't a rebounder. Highest rebounds per game, four. It was about the other stuff that he did. Eventually, (laughs) we're just going to find that he did nothing. (laughs) I didn't write down any more of his stats, but I'm assuming he didn't do anything else. He defended and kind of shot the three. That's basically what he did. Pretty much. Uh, Actually, most notably, he had his leg broken by a cop at a nightclub in New York. Right. And he sued him. Yeah, he did. He sued the state of New York. Mm -hmm. Okay. um, That proves that nothing good happens when you're close to James Dolan. (laughs) Yeah, even within the same state. Yeah, never safe. Number okay. 12, New Orleans. It's me? Yeah. Uh, Booby Gibson? Okay, fair enough. Played with LeBron, only played with LeBron. LeBron left, his career ended. <laughs> he was a good shooter. Yeah. He, I thought he was Mario Chalmers before Mario Chalmers. Same game. Yeah. Same size, same game, same stats. I think Mario Chalmers is probably better. Better better handler. And, like, Booby Gibson was point guard size, but he wasn't really a point guard. He just mostly shot. Daniel Gibson made $22 million over his career, and he has LBJ to thank for every one of those dollars. What about a little bit of a shot? A little bit, maybe? I think I a little know. bit of a skill, but mostly LBJ, yeah. Yeah. Feeding him. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, okay, I'll take the next Put pick. to the finals. He was the starting point guard on that finals team. Yeah, that's one of the like, like, Well, you don't have to get into how trash that finals team was. Um, that is one of the all-time great teams, though, considering how terrible they were outside of LeBron. 
Like great teams is in great teams to talk about. It's like sure, up there with yeah, the yeah, Irish. Rephrase that. That was yeah. not. That is I, one of all time like great terrible anomaly teams. team. It was crazy. Yeah, I put them up there with the two thousand one Iverson teams. Yeah, we got to the finals. They very, had Eric very. Uh, that's a very point, like poignant, uh, relevant uh, comparison because yeah. singular star who did basically everything plus filler, <laughs> like definitely filler. Like not even, not even like average role player. Anderson Vergel, Zajunas Igauskas, Old Igauskas. Yeah, just oh my god, for LeBron. Anyway, all right, um, uh, thirteenth pick Philly. Yeah, okay, I'll take... Uh, you sound super enthused. Yeah, I'll take Jordan Farmer, I guess. I didn't even um, have him. Didn't have him on true, the board. Um, Why would you pick Jordan Farmer? Mo- most of the guys at this point suck. Um, he That's fair. He had, like, decent stats. I think he could be a backup point guard. Played That's- with Kobe? Played with yeah, Kobe. Yeah, he did, but you like to talk about guys they played with. I don't know, like, look. Uh, I think he's a guy who could be back of PG, and at his peak, he's about a 10 points per game, 4.5 assists All right. in 20 minutes. I don't know. Sure. That's something, I suppose. <laughs> that least, is like, something. Considering all the busts in this draft, at least you're getting a guy who could play in the league a little, you know? Yeah, I mean, I had Shannon Brown, who averaged career high. F- oh, is that career 14 points per game? Shannon Brown. So you're taking him next to your last pick? Yeah. Yeah, I'll take him. Okay. Uh, career highlight, massive block. Remember that massive block when he, it was a trail, trailing block. He caught it. They called a foul on him, but he basically just caught it out of the air and came down with it. No, I'd have to look at it again. I know, like, Shannon Brown always had ups, so. Yeah, Shannon Brown. Okay, 2006 NBA redraft. We're done. Any uh, last thoughts? I don't ever want to talk about this draft again. Okay, it shall not be spoken of anymore. Okay, good. Have a good one, guys.